Attention, ladies and gentlemen. There will be a slight change in the cast tonight. Oh, no. For this evening's performance, the role of Jean Valjean will be played by Kirk Cameron. Oh! Oh, unbelievable! Oh, my God! How lucky are we, huh? Hey, Stewie, what are you doing tonight? Oh, nothing. Just watching Kirk Cameron play Jean Valjean. Oh, my God! Curtain up! everyone and welcome to Spittin' the Real Shit, uh, the only weekly movie podcast made exclusively by, for, and about the online Facebook group, The Real Shit. Uh, you are catching us on a very special day, because uh, this is our 14th episode ever. Uh, with the ultimate bracket champion decided and celebrated, it's time to forge ahead into the Halloween season. A new horror bracket is already going, and we'll be discussing the advancements so far and possible predictions, as well as some Halloween movie memories. Uh, but the bulk of our show will be dedicated to the 2012 film adaptation of the popular musical Les Miserables, directed by Tom Hooper. Uh, my name is Charlie Thompson, uh, founder, administrator, and bracket master of The Real Shit. Uh, and joining me, as always, is my co-host and fellow administrator, the midnight movie maniac himself, Rylan Johnson. Charlie, I feel like I should sing my intro, but uh, I can't sing, so... Uh, not going to happen, but happy to be here. Uh, and uh, joining us in the fun this week is a founding member of The Real Shit, all the way back from 2012, Mrs. Justine Cooper. How are you? I'm doing fabulous. Thanks for having me on the show this week. Oh, thanks for being on the show. Justine and I go way back. Uh, she was part of the, the first crop of uh, people that I kind of thought about whenever I made uh, The Real Shit group. Uh, her and her husband used to always uh, join us for double feature nights whenever uh, me and my wife uh, kind of got together, kind of moved into our first house together, have a good double feature, and and Justine and her husband were always were always willing to hang out with us and have a few laughs and watch a few good movies. So much to the point where I kind of started using Facebook as a way to communicate, you know, when and where we're going to be doing the next show. It's kind of like the early days of the real shit before the real shit, and so they were always pretty active and. We're always down to hang out, and I, I just love hanging out with you guys. It's been forever, by the way. Yeah, it has. Every time I talk to your husband, he's always like, we need to do something. When are we doing it? There were so really good memories, though, yeah. God, and, uh, but yeah, it's been forever. We need we need to get together soon. I know Kelly would love to, do, to be able to have a, a nice evening. Um, yeah, yeah. Hopefully this COVID thing goes away <laughs> but yeah no like really good memories and just like it's it's just good to bond over movies for me i feel like it's something that kind of crosses all you know all scopes of people you know everybody loves yeah. movies now our tastes differ but it's it's just a good pastime well uh, i've always appreciated your opinion because you you've introduced me to a few movies that i've never even seen before i don't even get me started on on what they're called there was one in particular, it was an Asian film, uh, where there was a giant water monster. And that was basically the whole film, was this water monster trying to, trying to eat these people on a bridge. Do you, you know what I'm talking about? Like a giant fish thing that's just, just terrorizing this small little uh, water, what, like coastal city. And it's not animated? It's real? Yeah, it's real. Oh my gosh, I remember this. Okay. Oh my <laughs> gosh. You just took me so far back. Mm -hmm. That oh man wow um, I don't even know what it's called I don't either <laughs> okay uh, well, I, yes well, it's like this um it, it's almost like a village is on the water like these huts or something yeah and then there's like some creature that comes up out of the water what is that called it's relentless and it's just it's just gorgeous. Yes. I totally forgot about that movie. Uh, guys, if y'all are listening, uh, I usually do a discussion for each episode. Uh, write down in the comments what the name of that movie is. Yes. Um, I, I want to see it. It sounds good. <laughs> yeah, it's it's basically like 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 the Asian Jaws. It's 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 just the entire movie. This giant fish terrorizing this village, and they're all aware of it. They're all very scared the entire time. It's a uh, it's a crazy little movie. But uh, but the same uh, with your opinion on tonight's. A selection, which is Les Mis, is a movie I never thought I'd watch in my lifetime. I swear. Like, uh, <laughs> I, I, I didn't know a single thing about the plot line of Les Mis besides my synopsis I wrote for a bracket post for the movie mm -hmm. on the musical bracket. 
Right. That's all I know. But even the synopsis was confusing as hell to me. I didn't know what was going on. Uh, and so, but you have to experience this movie. And and I think that's what this movie is, is, is an experience. But we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later. But that's yes. why I love this group. Uh, you know, COVID happened. I was at home for six months. So uh, to have a, a forum, a movie forum to just talk shit about movies, have fun. It's always in good nature. You hear some movies, some recommendations you probably wouldn't do like tonight. And that's always fun for me. I like to uh, broaden my spectrum a little bit, you know. Right. I mean, and this had some of your this had some of your dudes in here, Ryland, but they're not like they're not like uh, blowing shit up. Oh, man. The you cast know? is stellar, stellar cast. I mean, it we'll get into it. But uh, yeah, I was very happy with with something. Like I said, I'm not the biggest musical fan, but uh, yeah, it was it, it was very enjoyable. And um, and so with that, like, uh, I don't know if you've seen our old episodes, but it's, it's very guy centric stuff. Uh, you know, like your Total Recalls and your Fight Clubs and your Shawshank Redemptions. Uh, but I, I wanted to get a different, different perspective, and I always thought that you had a really interesting one. I, I wanted to bring you on the show and make sure that, uh, you know, I gave you respect for for being with us for so long in the group and, and being one of those that always participated and, and made it to where if other people wanted to but never uh, made the action. You know, you, you, were, you were part of those people that just kept on being active and, and giving their opinions and all the kinds of stuff. And it's awesome. So thank you so much. My pleasure. So first thing we usually do is we talk about a little industry news, uh, but really there's not a whole lot going on. Um, an article that I read uh, the other day uh, was about the possible live action Spider-Verse. And this is only because of the news that Tobey Maguire and um, Andrew Garfield signed on to the new Spider-Man project. We're not sure in what capacity they're going to be there, but the fanboy Spidey senses are definitely tingling. So exciting. Like, who's your favorite Spider-Man, Charlie? Uh, favorite Spider-Man? Uh, it's got to be Tobey Maguire. He was my generation. She looks at me every day. Mary Jane Watson. Oh, boy. If she only knew how I felt about her. But she can never know. I made a choice once to live a life of responsibility. A life she can never be a part of. Who am I? I'm Spider-Man, given a job to do. He did an outstanding job. I think they've all done done well. If you're a fan of either one of them, I can't fault you on that. I think Tom, I think Tom Holland nails the high school kid aspect of Spider-Man the best, but you know they're all great films in my opinion. You have reached the voicemail box of Happy Hogan. Hey, Happy. Um, here's my report for tonight. I stopped to Grand Theft Bicycle, couldn't find the owner, so I just left a note. Um, I hope this lost told Dominican lady. She was really nice and bought me a churro. Yeah, I, I try. I try to think of it like I don't know who Spider-Man is, what the previous film was. I try to take it as as face value as possible. It's a different lens that you kind of look through it. I, I, I always thought Tobey Maguire did the best as far as just face value Spider-Man, but without having any like canonical knowledge, you know, through the comic books or, or what's expected of Spider-Man. Uh, Maguire and I'm sorry, is it Andrew Garfield? Did I get that right? Uh, yeah, Andrew Garfield. I don't think they're going to, you know, I think they're going to make an appearance. They're going to, you know, obviously throw some type of time continuum, uh, different dimension. I don't know how they're going to do it, but I don't think it's going to be real heavy. Uh, all three Spideys, you know? Yeah, I think Tom Holland's going to, you know, be the bulk of it. But I mean, there's still if you if you if you do dip into the fanboy stuff, you know, there's still a lot of Miles Morales stuff out there that hope to latch onto without Peter Parker really being explored anymore, especially since that uh, Into the Spider-Verse re was released. Like it, it opens the chasm of what you can do with this franchise. Well, I, I know X-Men started the game, but shouldn't we give props to that first Spider-Man for how huge of a movie that was, how much money it made, what it created? If if that movie would have just done okay, I don't know if we'd have this, you know, 20, 30 Marvel cinematic universe. And not to discount Andrew Garfield's performance. I think he was... I actually enjoyed uh, Garfield's run. I think, uh, what was it? What's the, the villain in the second one, the Rhino? I thought that was a fun villain, you know. And I, like I said, I'm a villain guy. So Jamie Foxx, I don't think, pulled it off very well as, as an Electro. I just, I don't know. It didn't fit him well, but... I'm excited. It'll be fun. Yeah, It'll draw a crowd. Exactly. That's how much we love Spider-Man, is it can let us down multiple times. And we'll, we'll still watch the next one. Uh, Justine, do you have an opinion on uh, your favorite Spider-Man actor? It's definitely not Tobey Maguire. Okay. <laughs> but I think I did like Garfield a lot more than I like Tom Holland. <clears throat> you know, in the future, if, if you're going to steal cars, don't dress like a car thief, man. What are you? You a cop? Really? 
you seriously think I'm a cop? Cop in a skin tight red and blue suit. You know, you're, you're, you're. I don't know. I just, he has more of like a, Tom Holland kind of, I feel, plays it more like weak teenager, like unsure, unconfident vibe. And then Garfield kind of had a stronger, I don't know. I still thought he was very charming, uh, Garfield. I think the charm is what won me over. But you're right, Tom Holland just seems more like a boy rather mm-hmm. than just having boyish charm. I feel that Garfield's going to be that kind of forgotten Spider-Man. You know, he, he was be- between Toby, who got the first three giant films, and then Holland is kind of riding on the back of uh, an Avengers, you know, giant Marvel aspect that Toby McGuire and, and Garfield really didn't have. So, but you're, but at the same time, I wonder if his impact would have been even that great had it not been for the McGuire and Garfield runs. Um, the other uh, uh, article I have is uh, I read an article about AMC, and they made a press release uh, stating that uh, if something doesn't change before the end of the year, they might not still be in business. You know, AMC, if you've been at AMC, you know, like cleaners in every every theater, bar area, you know, the enhanced menu, uh, trying to keep up with the uh, other theater entities. I can see them still kind of recouping their losses off of that huge investment, and then the pandemic happens. It's just kind of a one-two punch. And so I thought that AMC might be the leaders, you know, going going out of this, you know. But it turns out that AMC is kind of bleeding money. You know, I, my opinion is if they can just hang on, I think next year will be by far the biggest movie theater year in the last, I don't even know how long. Two summers worth of blockbusters condensed into three or four months. Another James Bond, uh, Batman, you know, you've got a lot of heavy hitters in there. So I just hope they can hang on. And, and just have a stellar 2021. Essentially, it's it's just a room with a bunch of machines in it. But I do believe that a resurgence uh, can happen, and it can make a boom out of the industry again, and it can make and it, make, it can make theaters thrive. What about you, Justine? Are you a big uh, movie theater person? Or yeah, I mean, we used to go probably like two or three times a month. But once we had our kids, I mean, I have our kids are really young. It's like impossible to take them but yeah i mean so it's been a long time that i've even been to the movies even pre-pandemic i think it's a shame you know for like something that people really enjoy doing to just go away but i mean it also shows you how much these places are running paycheck to paycheck almost that one year of creased sales is really gonna put them under Right, right. And it, it makes you think about, like, all those years of movie piracy. <laughs> like, people telling you, like, quit pirating movies. You're, you're bleeding the industry dry. And this is exactly what this is for. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they can't sustain you. To, they're, they're, they're barely making, making rent, you know? I think she kind of nailed it, though, with family aspects and theaters. Uh, if you've got a, you know, 70-inch big screen and streaming... You know, it's so much easier to just stay at home with the kids and, and watch a movie. So I hate to say that that's where it's trending. We're going to go towards home viewing of, of, of new releases, especially with the, the family aspect. You know, it's just it, it was expensive to go to the movies. One, you know, you got to drive up there. The, the, the concessions are expensive. I get it. So I just hope that the big dogs, the AMCs and stuff can just hang on enough to where, yeah, you're not going to have a theater you know, five theaters in your town. But just let's just hope we can have one or two at least. You know, I mean, I, I I feel like there is demand. It's just dormant right now, just because of what we're dealing with right now. But you're right. That I, I want them to hang on. Just to hang on. I'm there. I'm, I want to give you my money. Speaking of AMC, did y'all cover like anything that went down with them and the Trolls movie, the new one? No. Um, so in April, the sequel to the original like Trolls movie from 2016 came out and it was slated to come out, you know, as this like, you know, wide release, whatever. But because of the pandemic, they ended up releasing it to streaming only. And this was the first big film to be released in that way. So here's just a headline from Variety. I remember this happening. It says AMC theaters won't play Universal movies in wake of Trolls World Tour dispute. So I guess they were like pretty pissed about them releasing it to streaming uh, on demand. And but one thing about it is that 
the Trolls movie, when it came out, the new one, it was like $20 to rent it for like 24 hours. It made like over $100 million in like three weeks. Mm-hmm. So the bet paid off. Well, yeah, for Universal. That was like the stand that AMC was trying to take. I don't know. I remember it. I'm like, there was a there was a theater in it and it was AMC. So I don't know. If- Maybe. Yeah, I mean, that, I mean, it seems like the stages of loss, you know. Like anger, denial, bargaining. <laughs> I, I mean, I can get it. Like if you if you plan to staff up, you know, three times as you usually would staff up for a weekend, then we have a trolls movie, and then you have no trolls movie. You know, yeah. I, I, I would be I would be mad too. You know, that's a lot of labor payroll. If you were financially strong, you wouldn't be worried about stuff like that. Um, we just crowned our uh, ultimate bracket champion. We had our ep- our live episode last week. And uh, we have already started the brand new bracket, which is the foreign horror bracket. But I noticed that uh, I'm not seeing a lot of Justine votes. Honestly, I need to look at the bracket because when I saw that, I was like, uh, I'm not good for these. In our pre-show stuff, you had mentioned that you're not a big horror fan. Yeah, it's not something that like I don't seek it out. Um, and the times that I have seen horror movies is my husband is like, let's watch this one. And, but most of the time, like if, if it's on, it's cause I'm not around. Charlie, did I, did I upset you with the, uh, pans labyrinth comment? Oh, no, no. I, I, I knew it was going to be an on the fence, uh, type of situation, but you know, I, I wanted del Toro to be represented. I mean, but I'm not sure how many people know Kronos or the devil's backbone, you know, or all those earlier uh, Mexican films that he did. But I do know that a lot of people know Pan's Labyrinth. And I know that The Shape of Water is not a, a Mexican production. So it, it technically doesn't count. So I, I wanted Del Toro to be recognized, but I wanted to have a chance at least. Because, uh, yeah, I mean, he made Kronos, which is an old vampire film. And then he made A Devil's Backbone, which is like a ghost movie. Uh, both are fantastic, by the way, guys, if you've never seen either one. But that's how Del Toro got started was in horror. And so I wanted to kind of, you know, show props. Same thing with Peter Jackson and Dead Alive. I wanted to make sure he had, you know, a, a toe in a, a toe in this competition as well, because that's where he got his roots too. Pan Pan definitely has some horror aspects to it, but uh, it's just weird when you put up against, you know, audition and high tension and which oh, I, I like that I like that you put hot tension. You know, it was that the French word for high. Hey. The uh, the poster that I that I chose, yeah, that's basically just French for high. It, it threw me off a little bit because I was like, wait a minute, have I seen? Is there a French version that I haven't seen? Or, <laughs> but with one Google search, I, I found out. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so so far we've had uh, Pan's Labyrinth go through. Uh, we've had let me let the right one in, which I think is a huge contender in this contest. And then I just posted about it. Train to Busan is moving on to the quarterfinals. But we still have a lot of game left to play. It's actually one of those that I'm not really sure exactly who's going to make it. We still have 28 days later in the contest. We got scanners up in there. We got funny games uh, still in the contest. We have the original Italian Fulci film Zombie in the contest. Uh, so no telling who's, who's going to make. Uh, stay tuned for that, guys. And uh, we'll definitely keep you posted here on, uh, on the show. But uh, actually, Justine, I was wondering if you wanted to play a game with us uh, before we started talking about Les Mis. Hello. You don't know me, but I know you. I want to play a game. Yeah, sure. Uh, we've done this uh, game on the show before. Uh, we just we have, we don't have like a real clever name for it. We just kind of call it uh, "Where Were You When," and uh, we basically just throw out a bunch of popular movies. And we just kind of tell memories of the first time we watched these movies. I figured since it was the season, I'd do a couple of uh, Halloween favorites, if that's all right with you guys. I'm down. Cool, cool. So uh, the first one I picked was Ghostbusters. Uh, Ryland, where were you the first time you watched Ghostbusters? Man, uh, Ghostbusters, the original came out in 84. So I remember pretty vividly... Uh, being more of a Ghostbusters 2 kid because it came out, I, I believe, in 89, if I'm correct. And I remember my dad, who was a big movie buff, kind of made me do a double feature. He was like, you got to watch the original. So I got a double feature that night of Ghostbusters and Ghostbusters 2. I was a huge Ghostbusters fan that next year. I was I was a Ghostbuster for Halloween. So characters are fun. It's it's a scary, kind of spooky, but not too scary. For, you know, it's it's kid-friendly. You know, anything Bill Murray, count me in. 
it's got the song. I've got a, one of the oldest videos. My dad used to have the camcorder on on his shoulder, you know, and take videos of us as kids. Yeah. And uh, we have one of me at probably about that age, about six, singing the the Ghostbusters song. So That's it just cool. had it, it had the toys. It had just so much appeal to a, a six year old Rylan. Man, uh, I gotta say that I'm in the same camp with you. As memory serves, I watched Ghostbusters two before I watched Ghostbusters one, N- taking nothing away from Ghostbusters. But I do remember I was in daycare at the time, and for some reason, my daycare teacher would rent these movies uh, for herself, but she wouldn't have time to watch them in the evening, so she would just bring them up to the daycare and then just put them on. Oh, my God. <laughs> I know. I know. Uh, and, uh, and so I remember watching vaguely, like, part of it, you know, uh, at the daycare. But then I remember badgering my parents about it and be like, I want to watch Ghostbusters. And so they finally uh, got it on a blockbuster rental. But yeah, that was my first time ever watching. I, I never did the Ghostbusters dress up or never watched the cartoon or, or really got into the fandom. Did appreciate the movie for what it was. Just a really good movie. Fun fact, I still have my Ecto-1 toy and the, the, the base, the headquarters. I still have those two toys <laughs> uh, in, my, in, my, you know, in the attic in a box. But hey, I still have them. Right, they're not displayed. Oh yeah, those are the ones you don't, you don't throw away. Uh, what about you, Justine? What was the first time you watched Ghostbusters? So I saw Ghostbusters in seventh grade. I didn't even really know about it. Um, I have three sisters, and so anytime it was like pick a movie out time at right. <laughs> Blockbuster, it was like we weren't really reaching for that. But there was um, this like little school newspaper that I was involved with. My friend Logan was in charge of like the movie critique and he chose Ghostbusters. And so he wrote this like very long detailed critique of the movie, you know, years and years after it came out, but it, you know, it intrigued me. So, so we did see it then I was like late, a little late to the game on that one, but uh, it really is an iconic film. Like I Mm. feel like it had so much pop culture and it's in ever it's everywhere. (laughs) <laughs> hey, where do these stairs go? They go up. All right, here's a how about here's another movie for you. What about the uh, the Disney classic Hocus Pocus? Uh, Justine, where were you the first time you watched Hocus Pocus? Uh, you know, I was probably with Meredith. She's been like my lifelong like best friend, and you know, we would just kind of veg out with those types of movies when we were you know younger and you know of course every young girl gets this crush on thackeray binks the cat character in the movie (laughs) um not when he's a cat though that would be weird you know just the end you know when he comes back as like his ghost form or whatever but yeah it you know it has a lot of little nuggets in there for young teenage girls and so i think that's really why that movie has kind of surged again in the recent past the nostalgia i mean if you look back in time at that movie it really did not have a lot of fanfare like in theaters it didn't make a lot of money it has like a 37 percent rating on rotten tomatoes but it's like a cult classic now it's enjoyable i mean it has bet midler in it for some reason, Bette Midler just brings it. Like whatever she's in, uh, whatever she's in, like like you can't say it's bad. Sister, observe. Hold it! <laughs> just when our time was running out, come, we fly. We fly. On what? We fly. So. What about you, Ryland? Where were you the first time you saw Hocus Pocus? Hocus Pocus came out in what year? I'm sorry, I don't have it written down. Uh, I want to say it was like 93. 93. See, I I should have been in that wheelhouse. I just don't remember catching it as a child. It just passed over me. And then as a young adult, just me being a huge Halloween, I love this time of year, Halloween the day of. And it's kind of like, I I think I said it in in the live podcast. Like, it's just, it's a great movie of the day of Halloween. You know, it's, it's not a scary movie. It's not a horror. It's just a fun Halloween themed movie with great cast and, and just appeals to the kids and the, and the parents and everybody. And I caught it as a young adult and I went, oh man, I missed out on this one because it's just, 
just a good all-around movie. It's wholesome, it's fun, and I love spooky themes, so it's right up my alley. I remember I was in Boy Scouts, or I guess even younger than that, like uh, Cub Scouts, like pre-Boy Scouts. And uh, we had this uh, scout leader. We'd always meet at his house. That family had rented uh, Hocus Pocus, and they were putting it on. And uh, it was my first time being like in that in that room, you know, because usually we're doing stuff in like the garage or or in the and having meetings in the kitchen, you know, like whatever part of the family unit, you know. But this day, you know, they were just like movie night, and they were they put that on. And I remember thinking that this movie was the dopest thing I'd ever seen in my life. I remember uh, thinking that I wanted to light a Zippo with my leg like all <laughs> the time. I, I wanted a black flame candle so bad. I wanted that book with the eye on it. That thing is mm. that thing is chilling. Like first time you see that book with with the, the wandering eye as the lock. Like that thing is wicked looking. And then you got the dude with the with his uh, his mouth sewn shut. I mean, in a Disney film, it's like some strange land shit. And my last uh, film for y'all guys tonight is the movie Beetlejuice. I remember watching uh, a, a segment of Oprah. The Oprah Winfrey show, and they had like all the characters from Beetlejuice, like the uh, the flattened guy, you know, the guy, the roadkill guy. You had the receptionist, and they were all guests on the Oprah Winfrey show. I, I thought that was just a just a weird show to have, but I was but I was so interested in where this where these characters came from, and so uh, I, I bugged my mom forever, and uh, it was in theaters at the time, but we had to wait like a you know six months or so before it came on video. But then I remember I was laser focused. I, I knew exactly what I was going to watch that night was Beetlejuice, and it and it didn't let me down. It was such a great film. Even my kids today, they just can't get enough of that movie, and it's always one that if I if I bring it up, they'll want to watch it. Uh, what about uh, you, Justine? Where were, you, where were you the first time you watched Beetlejuice? I didn't see Beetlejuice until I was an adult. Like, I don't know. I just I we didn't really watch a lot of occult type films, and I know that. This isn't really, like, as an adult, I can see it. it's not really, yeah, so we were kind of sheltered from uh, stuff like that when I was a kid, and so saw it with my husband, and, you know, it's good. It's a good film. I really like um, the mom from Home Alone. She has, like, a knack for just being this, like, uppity bitch, <laughs> you know? Oh. Yeah. And uh, she really does well on that one. And I, I really like the performances by Gina Davis and Alec Baldwin in this film. And the, then the scene where like that Calypso song is playing and they're all like being manipulated by the ghosts. Like that is just, that's nuts. Um, it's very spooky too. Like two opposing things there, like this very uppity, happy song, but then at the same time, a chilling situation of, you know, not being able to control your body. Um, so that was, I feel like I really like that scene in that movie. Yeah, you see, you try and break it down like that. I mean, that's a terrifying moment in your life, you know, where you, you have no control over your body. Like, you're going to have an episode, like you're going to, you're going to go into a seizure or something like, like your brain can't, can't handle that. And they're delighted by it. They're, they love it. They love it so much. <laughs> What about you, Rylan? Where were you the first time you watched Beetlejuice? Man, Beetlejuice was was my first introduction to uh, Tim Burton for sure. I know that, and it was amazing. It's it's just fun. It is dark. It demented a little bit humor, but it it kind of went over my head. This movie came out in 1988, so the prior the next year, I remember my dad saying this actually. Keaton got the Batman role. He was like, yeah. Beetlejuice is going to be Batman." Like that was the headlines. Is Keaton had done some things before, but. He's coming off of a very unique role in Beetlejuice, and now he's he's getting the Batman role. But um, yeah, no, so much fun. It's so original. It's uh, it's something that I definitely watch during this time of year. It's always fun. I've got a mm -hmm. Beetlejuice poster. You know, I'm all about it. <laughs> ah, well, I attended Juilliard. I'm a graduate of the Harvard Business School. I travel quite extensively. I lived through the Black Plague, and I had a pretty good time during that. I've seen The Exorcist about 167 times, and it keeps getting funnier every single time I see it. Not to mention the fact that you're talking to a dead guy. Now, what do you think? You think I'm qualified? Well, thank you, Justine, for uh, giving us a few memories of uh, Halloween favorites. Absolutely. Uh, so uh, now I wanted to dedicate the rest of this episode uh, to the breaking down of the 2012 Tom Hooper musical epic known as Les Miserables.
I'm cold. Would you let me stay here for tonight? I know who you are. You're Jean Valjean. Right, my girl. On your way. I had a dream my life would be. Help me, please. I have a child. So different from this hell I'm living. So never know from what it seems. Where is your child? Day, another destiny. Hamza. It's never ending road to Calvary. Where's the child, Cosette? Tomorrow you'll be worlds away. Who was that girl? Cosette. And yet with you my world has started. But he never saw me Truth be told, I believe I'm speaking for Ryland as well. Uh, this is the first time I've ever seen Les Miserables in its entirety, uh, ever, in any way, shape, or form. And so um, I just wanted to throw out some fun facts uh, for the movie. Published in 1862 by a man named Victor Hugo. Uh, so it, it's a novel before it became a musical. And then it was actually adapted in France in the early 1980s. And then it was adapted again into English language in the mid 80s. And then it had its, you know, historic Broadway run. I believe it's like the second longest Broadway production of a musical ever in the history of the world. Of course, you know, they, they did the film adaptation in 2012 with the big budget. They were actually brought the original French writers back to help with the book of uh, song for this film. The uh, director, Tom Hooper, uh, he got in some hot water last year uh, for releasing his version of Cats. Jellicles can, angelicals do. Jellicles do, angelicals can. Jellicles can, angelicals do. Jellicles can, angelicals do. And you ride on a broomstick to places for distance. Yes. <laughs> um, he had a historic run. I mean, he he started. This I think that's why he kind of got this gig for Les Mis was because he's he's very meticulous in historical accuracy, architecture and clothing and things like that. He's very, very finite in what he wants to see on the on the screen. And I think that's what got him the Oscar for the King's Speech, you know, for director and best picture. And then he was able to bring that over to Les Mis. But yes, this is the legacy he's leaving behind is a lot of really great historical projects and then Cats. And so um, I hope he bounces back. Uh, but I also don't want this to be his legacy as far as the guy who makes big budget Broadway adaptations. I, I feel like he should do something else. Like, like he had his run. He did a really great job. Even without seeing it, uh, cast just looks like a disaster. Overall takes, um, I thought that it was a great uh, way to present the thing, but again, I have no frame of reference. And so I'm just kind of taking it taking it at face value. Uh, but what I saw, it was very well done, but I, I could also tell that you needed 
in some way, shape, or form to kind of know the chassis of the story. Otherwise, you could get caught up or just plain, you know, just lose interest because it's kind of very inside, you know. And so you really have to pay attention and figure out what's going on with the time lapses and the new characters being brought in. But uh, what are your overall thoughts? And, and tell me why you chose this film in particular uh, as our focus tonight. Okay, so I wanted to choose something that I didn't feel was in y'all's wheelhouse. And um, I guess <laughs> that was right. So I'm glad yes. that you were kind of pushed out of your comfort zone uh, with this film. But, you know, for me, it's such an emotional experience. And what always comes to mind to me is when the trailers started coming out for this film in 2012, it came out around Christmas time. I remember talking to Anthony, my husband about it and you know, his reactions at first, like, like most men really, you just, yeah. Oh, it's a musical. It's a love story. I, it's going to bore me. But the thing about La Mis is it has everything it has injustice, it has rebellion, it has war, it has revenge, it has murder, it has everything. I mean, it's just so many things happen in this film. And you just, when you think about it or you see the posters and stuff, it, it, so much happens that, you know, I guess maybe we just see that image and we're, we're judging it by its cover. And so I was able to convince him to see it. And I mean, and, and it's a long film. It's, it's like almost three hours. But for me, um, and it's interesting that you, your perspective on it about the time passing and the timeline, because I had seen the, I guess, 1998 one that has Liam Neeson in it okay. and Claire Danes and Jeffrey Rush, I think. Uh, that one is not a musical. And have y'all seen that one? I guess not. No, I, I did my research and I was aware of it, but I did not, uh, not see it, no. Okay. I love that film. The musical came out for La Mis, like in the 80s, and I never had read, I have. I still haven't read the book, but when that 1998 movie came out, I ended up seeing it as a teenager and just being obsessed. It's so dramatic. There's so many, like, that's another really good film, and it's, it's not a musical. So if you know anybody that, like, isn't sure about diving into this three-hour one yeah. that's a musical, the timeline it's very easy to see what's going on with the other. And so I did not have that experience when I watched this because I, I knew what was going to happen mm -hmm. and why like time passed. But, you know, now that you say that, I'm like, oh my gosh, like that's a really true perspective. Yeah. If you're totally like green to, to the oh. story. Yes. And, and that's, that's kind of what I was hoping this would be, would be kind of like a educating us more than anything than us just having a chit chat. Uh, you said earlier before we got on that you you, you maybe had a couple questions for us uh, based on our perspective of the of the film. Um, yeah, you know, let me just ask. This is going to be kind of a criticism, but like of the roles that y'all saw, what did you feel about the casting on this? Especially like seeing actors that maybe you haven't seen sing before, sing in a movie. <laughs> Anyone uh, in the film? Russell Crowe. I and mean, what was cool about this film and what the director did was. The singing was done live. It was not dubbed over. It's very raw singing. It's like in the scene. These are, they're real voices. They're really, really belting it out. And and Crow just right off the bat just took me out of it. But at the same time, he's across from Hugh Jackman, who's just killing this role. Like, I don't think people, I mean, this Hugh Jackman started on the theatrical plays and stuff like that. So um, he was so good in this and just his singing and his, his acting combination took me aback. I was like, wow, like, you know, I didn't really expect that from him. Uh, Russell Crowe was just, to me, bad. I mean, I don't know who thought he'd be great in this role, but I think you could have figured out somebody else that maybe would have, you know, sang a little better and been a little bit more correct for this role. And then um, Anne Hathaway. I mean, she, she won an Oscar for this, so she was phenomenal. I mean, this is right up her alley. I, I loved her scenes. I wish she was in the movie a little bit more, actually, but it, the entire movie is singing. I, I really wish that they could cut that up a little bit you know, even the small parts of the of the movie where they're just trying to get transition to the next scene, they're still kind of softly singing, you know, which was weird to me, but it was just so well done. I, I, I did get sucked in, but two and a half hours was a little long for me. I'm, I'm actually in the opposite thinking as you, Ryland. I thought that Hugh Jackman 
wasn't very good. And I thought that Russell Crowe was, I mean, I guess for lack of a better word, like phenomenal. <laughs> I thought he was really good. I thought that uh, he was imposing. Frame of reference for these characters. I'm not sure how badass or how stoic or how heroic, you know, they, these people need to be. But I just, uh, as far as the characters go and the acting, I thought I thought Russell Crowe did better than, than Hugh Jackman. And uh, the one that really impressed me was Eddie Redmayne. But I didn't know who Eddie Redmayne was back then. I mean, I know who he is now, of course. But uh, he was one that really impressed me. But as far as as far as the casting, I really had no beef with it. I love the Sasha Baron Cohen and uh, Helen Bottom kind of characters. You know, they were thrown in there. You know, they were kind of the, I don't know, comedic part of the movie. I think they took the tone down a little bit, which was nice. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm a big Sasha Baron Cohen fan. I think he's got some range. What, uh, what what else you got for us, Justine? So, gosh, there is so much, like, depth of feeling in this film. And that is what makes a film worth watching. So, I'm almost to the point of crying by the, the, the scene where he is getting the silver from the priest. He's being forgiven, right? Like, that's like five minutes in. I guess there's just, there's so much redemption in this uh, in this story, um, and there's there's so many strong emotions, and I just wanted to kind of see if y'all had any comments on any of that. Like Jean Valjean shows up at the monastery and he's desperate and he thinks he's about to be caught, and it turns out that the gardener is the man that he had like lifted the wagon off of his back. And he ends up being saved. So there's like so many moments. What maybe drew you guys in the most, like with all of these scenes in the film, uh, maybe what struck you the most while you were watching it? I want to say uh, in the the battle with the barricade, when uh, the little boy kind of got it, um, that was definitely one. You saw the, the great direction, you know, the reactions of all of his other battle mates. And, and then when, when, when Maurice got gunned down himself and then Jean Valjean, goes in and, and grabs him. I, I love the uh, the number, you know, just kind of blanketing about the French Revolution whenever they, they change into the, the next act. Uh, and th- that opening scene, that was huge. And you have your knowledge about the French Revolution, you know, about the uprising, and it painted such a picture. Even if, even if it's in a musical setting, you still get a great perspective of it. Um, and I thought, I thought that that was fantastic. And I and I and I wasn't even aware of how little of a role Anne Hathaway had, like mm-hmm. as far as screen time. You know, um, I didn't. I there, there's not a whole lot of it. I mean, I want to say she probably takes up twenty, maybe twenty-two minutes. And I think that she really chews the scenery when she's there. But uh, I wanted to get into some of your favorite uh, scenes from the film, uh, Justine. Since you are a guest, I wanted to offer you first dibs on what you think is is considered the best scene in this movie. Oh man. I and I, I'm like I geek out about this movie, but like yeah. I, I love musicals and I, I just love like these like sweeping melodies that come across and, and this one there's so many times where I think my favorite parts are really when it's like the people are kind of joining together. The music is swelling. The song lyric says, like, the beating of your heart. And you can feel it in the performance. And you can feel it in the lyrics and just what's happening. I just love those. Any of those ones, like, where it's kind of transitioning into that part. um, Because that's, like, I guess one of the major musical themes of the movie is, do you hear the people sing? You know, they're, like, red, the color of yes. desire, all of that. Once that starts, I'm like, yeah, hell yeah. Like, let's do this. <laughs> I don't know. It just amps me up. It just makes me feel all warm inside. Like, yeah, let's get them. I get the most out of the movie on those parts. <laughs> well, and, and and like the reprises that they keep doing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. With, the, with exactly. those songs, like whenever they're at their lowest or they're starving and they're still staying strong, you know, and, uh, you know, the little boy just starts just kind of whispering that harmony. It's that, that That's one thing that, I had to come to grips with, you know, with all of this coming at me at once, you know, that, okay, so this is a story about a parole jumper. Okay, no, this is a story about, you know, a child. Oh, wait, no, this is a story about the French Revolution. Oh, no, wait, this is a story about that guy again. And, yes, you know, and, 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 <laughs> so and many so, storylines. <laughs> yes, and uh, and then, of course, you have the 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 other fourth storyline, which is the, the love triangle 
that nobody really knew was was happening. You're right. It is an experience of a film, and uh, I think I think that's what I took away from the film is that is just the complexity of all of it, and then you, you have to have knowledge of history, you know, and and knowledge of the operatic sense of the film, you know, like it's it's. I've seen musicals. I've seen I've seen Broadway productions. I've never seen a film like this where literally ninety nine point eight percent of the dialogue is at the very least harmonized. There's no dialogue scenes. There's no there's no plot points, and then moving on to the next number. Like it's all one big giant number. Yeah, I would agree. That was on my cons part. Was it just that I wish they could have put some just normal dialogue in there? But you know, this is such a grand musical, so. The first scene where he's tugging the boat, you know, just it sets you in this world. I mean, that kind of blew me away. I, I didn't really think it'd be that uh, beautifully shot um, being a musical. You know, I think they musicals focus more on, you know, characters, songs, getting the story across. But um, yeah, was, the, the drama is so deep. There's there's so much heart in it. So you get you do get involved in the characters. Hathaway deserved the Oscar. Anytime a person gets an Oscar, I usually catch the film somehow some way and i don't know why i've missed this one but i guess just not being the bi- the biggest musical fan um but now i'm happy i saw it and i really appreciate you mentioning it justine well i'm glad that you guys enjoyed it because you know my husband was the same way it was you know you kind of look at it like a book you're judging it by its cover or just whatever and i mean if you really look back at the movie it's it is a love story, but it's that's not the main part of the story, hmm. you know. And I think it's it's more like just a story of redemption. And um, but I think yeah, the singing it does. There is so much in this, and it is. I'm sure on the first watching, it's it's kind of hard to take it in. You kind of need an intermission almost in this movie because <laughs> it's so heavy for so long. <laughs> of course, the number where he's walking across the bridge and. Uh, talking about saving his life and like, what's the point in even doing that? Because there's just so much tragedy in the world. But again, I'm I'm, I'm looking at it from like movie eyes, you know. And right. so, like, I thought he was going to be like the main baddie, you know, like that he's going to he's going to be the one that he fights in the very end. Uh, but that's not the case at all with this film. That's not the way it went down. Yeah, and you know, another thing that he says a lot in his dialogue, the Javert character is that like. You know, he's doing his duty as, you know, of the law, but he also talks about like God yeah. and he totally embodies that. And, and this, you know, being a, a based on a book from the 1800s, like people have always taken either, you know, there's these two sides of religious people. There's, you know, the, the bishop or whatever, the guy in the beginning that is so like mm-hmm. graceful and pardoning. Yeah. And then there's people like Javert, like, no, you know, like you know, this is the way it has to be and I have to honor God or whatever by, you know, doing, being the, the arm of the law, uh, the judgment. Um, so it's just, there's a lot of like opposites in the movie too. Um, and that, that really is, they are opposites. Like Javert is like, you know, that strict, like, you know, rigid religious person in a way. And then you have like, Valjean, who also is saying, like, I gave my life, like, to God and to, you know, his work, but in this way of, like, helping and, and, and being warm and, and, and taking care of people um, versus yeah. taking care of, like, the law. There was a pretty uh, sweet sword fight in there. I, lo- I like a good sword fight, so I wrote, cool sword fight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, lead with that, not all this other, like, emotional... <laughs> yeah stuff but maybe that'll like draw more people into it i just i think it's a movie that has to be experienced and and you know if there's anybody that's you know ends up listening and you know they want to look into this and maybe they're not sure about the musical yet you know go ahead and check out the liam neeson version really good story really good acting in that one as well and the javert i feel like is better in that one i beg your pardon i forgot i apologize apologize for what i forgot you don't read your clerk mentioned it Neglected your education to make your fortune, I suppose. What is Paris interested in, Inspector? I'm all ears. Because of Vigo's extraordinary growth during the past five years, I've proposed that we make a detailed census. Well, that would be interesting. But how is it a police matter? Modern law enforcement demands modern methods, and that means information. 
I'd love to see it on Broadway, you know, like a big show. That'd be fun. I actually never, I've never seen like a Broadway anything. So I still need to, I still need to read the book, which is like 3000 pages. And (laughs) I, I want to see, you know, like some sort of Broadway take on it. So I've really just seen the two films. So with all that said, what are some of your biggest uh, criticisms? I know we talked about a couple earlier, uh, but anybody have any glaring criticisms they wanted to talk about? You know, I mentioned it. I just, Russell Crowe didn't do it for me, but I did write. He's not as bad as Pierce Brosnan and Mamma Mia. So, you know, <laughs> there, there is that. <laughs> wow, that's a low bar. Um, <laughs> I, I, I also despised Russell Crowe. Um, I know he has like that face of like, I'm bitter and I'm going to whatever. He, so he has the look, but just the voice, it just, it sounded so forced and, it, it did. T- and I love what you said, Rylan, when you were like, because the movie does begin in this like epic scene. Oh, my gosh. Like what? That is hard labor. And so and they're singing and they're grunting and it's winds blowing and it's all this. And then all of a sudden, like you hear this like middle aged man, like Meh, whatever sound comes out of Russell Crowe. It just <laughs> completely kills the moment. Like what? It takes you out of the scene. It's it's horrible. In my in his defense, the whole movie is like that. I feel like you could have started it anywhere, and it would have just had to have been like that's the, that's the pace we're going at from, from here on. <laughs> you know, like 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 it could have been anybody that that started off the film, and it would have just that that would have been that person's least favorite character. But uh, but I see where you're coming from because like I, I can tell that he's not he he's not hitting those Adina Menzel you know types of pitches you know but at the same time he's russell crowe i mean he's like a he's like a lawman he's kind of gruff i gave him a little bit of of exception just based on what he's trying to get across you know so that brings a question for me i mean can y'all think of another actor that might have been better cast in that role Mm. like that can pull off i mean i don't know maybe i'm being too harsh uh do do you do you feel like russell crowe's age was perfect Yes, I think he's meant to be around the age of Valjean, maybe a little bit older. I kind of, when I was thinking about it, I was thinking, um, what is that guy's name? He is the lead actor in The 300. Um, yeah, because he plays the Phantom of the Opera. Okay, I'm gonna, I was going to throw something out there. What about uh, Robert Downey Jr.? Do you, think, do you think he would murder this thing? He, he's not a baddie. He's not bad enough. Okay. He he does have like the the bitterness in you know like in his Tony Stark stuff. He kind of has that like cynical vibe, right. um, and yeah. I think Javert kind of has that. But I think he needs like someone that's more like self righteous than Downey. Guys, uh, when we do the discussion thread, I would love to hear what your alternative uh, castings would have been for uh, Javert uh, in Les Mis or any other character in in the film. I guess my biggest criticism. Um, is that it really leans to the the fan base of this film of the of Blame Is? Um, it's a very inside movie. Um, like it, it doesn't doesn't help you along as far as a casual viewer. Like you, either you're in it or you are not in it. They're unapologetic in that plight. I got to keep up here. I, I, I got to be the one to like really really pay attention and, and hear. I mean, because it is a lot of it's singing, some of it's falsetto. It's kind of hard to to see when the plot points are happening, and then once you finally catch the wave, you know, when, at whatever point that is, you understand that this is how it works. Mm-hmm. You know, like this is the way you're supposed to watch it. But if you're but if you're just watching it, like trying to maybe be one step ahead, or you know, trying to figure the movie out, like you're gonna have a bad time. Yeah, I you know? I so I totally see that. Yeah. And, and that's a perspective I never saw with any of this, but it can be kind of clunky at times. It's trying to yeah. fit 3,000 pages from the book into, you know, three hours. It's trying to fit however long the musical is into, you know, this little box. The the scene where they're pulling in the warship, still kind of clunky to me. Uh, the scene with the bishop, uh, the scene where he repents to himself, you know, um, I feel like I didn't really start catching the wave until the Anne Hathaway depression song, you know, the, the dream of dream, the Susan Boyle one, 
you know, and uh, and so that's when I started catching the wave, and then I finally figured out that that's the ebb and flow of the film, you know, is it's it's trying to keep in tune with the musical, and and that that's my biggest criticism is that is that there, there's a lot of expectation for the viewer, you know, to enjoy this film. It doesn't exactly. spoon feed you at all, at all. And so, uh, any last thoughts uh, about uh, Les Mis? Any any little fun facts you wanted to throw out, or uh, just last little statement you wanted to make? One thing that was really interesting, so that barricade scene uh, in the film where, you know, just just the whole, um, the layout of the set was actually the um, set for Diagon Alley in the Harry Potter movies. They repurposed it for the barricade scene. I can see that now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I did like, you know, what Rylan said in the beginning about the live singing. I mean, once you Mm -hmm. see that Anne Hathaway performance... It cannot be done any other way. Like you have to do the live singing to get that feeling, yeah, you know, the hyperventilating it. that she's doing. And so I, that was, I, I really enjoyed that part about it. Y'all had some really good takes on it. And so I really enjoyed this conversation we had. Thank you, Justine, for, for bringing this to our attention. Because I can tell you right now, the things I knew about Les Mis was that there was a guy named Jean Valjean and then just that, that logo that it's always Les Miserables. And I, and I remember as a kid not knowing how to say it. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's, all, that's all I knew, Justine, going into this movie. And uh, I'm, I'm so glad I watched it. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. I, I know it's, uh, it's kind of hard whenever you watch it for the first time, you have to kind of process it, uh, especially a movie like this. So I'm proud of ourselves, man. Uh, yeah, I did, I did my best. You know, like I said, it took me out of my comfort zone a little bit, but I'm happy I watched it, and it's definitely uh, something I'd recommend. And uh, as for uh, next week, guys, I reached out to uh, our boy Nasty Nate, who uh, loves to just litter your your timelines with those movie memes. We're gonna have him in next week, and we're gonna be talking horror franchises. Our episode before Halloween, so we want to make sure we get as much spooky stuff in as possible next week. So thank you for listening, guys. And that kind of wraps it all up, guys. Uh, So for Mrs. Justine Cooper and for Rylan Johnson, I am Charlie Thompson, and we have been spitting the real shit. We'll see you guys next time. Peace out. Bye. So so you say true crime, huh? Yes. Um, so, uh, did you watch well, the new Chris Watts thing? On, uh, oh my God! We see I, each other play. That guy is a Monsieur fucking monster. Le Maire, oh you wear God. a I'm different chain. Before you say another word, Shiver. Before you chain me up like a slave again. Listen to me. There is something I must do. This woman leaves behind a suffering child. There is none but me who can intercede. In mercy's name, three days are all I need. Then I'll return, I pledge my word. Then I'll return. You must think me mad. I've hunted you across the years. A man like you can never change. A man such as you. Like me. you can what never you change There Man is like a duty you that I'm sworn to do no. You know nothing Two, of four, my life six, oh, All I did was steal some bread to You know law. nothing of You have no rights Come you with me to see me so dead now But not before I see this around. justice Call Valjean is nothing now Tell I am warning you, Shabbat I must write your hand by Every man is born in sin. My race is man must choose his way. I am warning you, Javert. There is nothing inside a jail. I was born with scum like you. I'll do what must be done. And this I swear to you tonight There is no place for you to hide Your child will live within my care Wherever you may hide And I will raise her to the light 
I swear to you, I will be there.